This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Forever Night, Season 1, Episode 22, and Season 2, Episode 1. Is this... Is this what happened to Stephanie? Nobody's gonna hurt you. Did you kill Stephanie? I didn't plan that. I wanted to protect her. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast about Skank and the Vamp. I'm Luke. Here's my co-host, Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Okay, first of all, that's a much better title. I would watch that show, and it sounds like a more fun show, too. Um, But I got something that's not really real, but it's more of a question for you. I was watching the second episode, and I started thinking, what is Nick's retirement plan with the police? Like, he's going to live forever. Is his plan that he's 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 going to become mortal before someone notices he's been on the force for 40 years and he hasn't aged at all? Like, do you know what I mean? Well, that's a good question. And I think that is not the explicit question of the second episode we're going to watch, but certainly like the implicit question that is asked of him by a few people. Just like, how do you throw this life away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, specifically retirement. It is a weird, it makes some, uh, it raises some questions about people being vampires you know i think there is the indication that at a certain point i think he may have said this to dr nat before at some point that he just has to like leave a lot like he just disappears from a life that life just like ends he just goes off and starts again somewhere new where people don't know him kind of thing because i guess the thing is he stays you know how old is he like 35 he like stays 35 you could probably pull that off for what 10 years before someone's just like you're really not aging are you (laughs) yeah yeah well, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, let's say he starts, uh, they're both supposed to be like, you know, 30. They're like maybe older rookies. And then like, they've been partners for 10 years. And they're like, man, I'm looking pretty haggard. You're looking really good. Yeah, you know? I get the feeling every 10 years he's got to like push the abort button. Yeah, that's a lot of work. huh? How many careers do you think he's had at this point? Oh, I'm sure he's done a little bit of everything. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but I believe in that second episode where this is kind of like, you know, as we said, a low key conversation. Uh, his uh, friend Jeanette, the other vampire from France, she asks him about how it is to be a police officer. And he's just like, is it weird that you don't need this job because you're independently wealthy? And they so they're indicating that Nick just mm-hmm. has like a great deal of wealth from being alive for so long. So this is more of a hobby job. than anything. Mm. I'll be honest. Anytime um, Jeanette and Nick have a conversation by like candles, I tune out. Oh, so you're missing all those cannon. Yeah, all the canon because I just know it has nothing to do with the episode. It's like she comes in and they they talk about I don't know candles. I'm like, all right, guys, let me know when this conversation's over. Yeah, no, Nick's very wealthy. Turns out this is just his hobby. Hey, look at that. Good for him. Solving crimes for fun. <laughs> well, you know what? Who knows what his next career is going to be, right? I know you'd love that. You'd love to just solve crimes for fun. I wish I. You know what's funny? I was just talking to someone about that. Could we be spies? I, I'd like to think I could be a spy. I know this is not solving crimes, but I've, I've moved into spies. But I don't think I could be a spy either. It w- I would love to be to do that sort of thing, but I think I'm too much of a gabber. You just would spill the beans perpetually? I'd spill the beans, yeah. I'd be like, oh, come on. What's your real name? Well, just to clarify for everyone, we're kind of at an interesting point in our coverage of Forever Night is we are actually watching the very last episode of season one this mm-hmm. uh, this week. But then after that, we're starting the very first episode of season two, which for whatever reason, however the best of algorithm worked out, it just worked out this way where we're going to watch the finale of season one and the start of season two, which is kind of nice to see like 
how it ends the first season, how the first, second season begins. So it, what, what a happy coincidence, really. Yeah, and it's and it is also good to see um, for us specifically how the show has made some adjustments not only through the first season but you know after a little hiatus and they obviously you know they do a little retool sometimes recasting which we'll talk about and uh, how things have changed for the second season because there are some the minor differences yeah there's a little bit of tweaking going into the second season nothing mm-hmm. crazy i think the the core is still there but we get a little something new every episode uh, skanky changes his hair that's just his character he loves he's always going to the dress hairdresser he's always trying something yeah. fancy new we missed the mohawk episode <laughs> uh yeah no more sideburns. All right, Jordan. So uh, you have a little segment for us before we get into this? I do. Uh, I'll call it a game. It's more of a quiz. Um, I have I have titled it Nighty Night or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Night. So here's a question for you. Is a quiz yeah. not a game or is it too close to a test? I think it's, for whatever reason, I think like a game. <laughs> you know what I was going to say? <laughs> a game is a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> this will be fun is what i'm saying i don't know you know you're right i guess it technically is still a game i, I don't know how wide that uh that umbrella term is but it's just uh, a good question uh, i had never considered the yeah. thought but i was like is a quiz a game I, it yeah it depends how much fun you're having well either way is is well, well you know what maybe you'll answer it at the end of this so i have i have 10 uh questions for you they're all somewhat related to nights um so okay. i think i think you'll do better on some than others there's only a couple ones that there's no way you're going to get, but they're just in there for fun. But let's uh, let's see how you do. Okay, question one. In what year was Batman first called The Dark Knight? Was it A, 1966, B, 1972, C, 1940, or D, 1988? I'm going to say 1972. Mm, sorry. It was 1940. It was right away. Uh, uh, just a year after he started becoming Batman in Detective Comics 45. Really? I would have thought that it was the world's greatest detective for quite a long time and then later became the Dark Knight. Yeah, I don't think the, the coin, it was quite coined, but someone had mentioned apparently in Detective Comics 45, they called him the Dark Knight. But I think Cape Crusader, Great Detective, those were all kind of used, I think, a little bit more often. Interesting. Batman trivia. Batman trivia. Well, don't worry. Question two. Which Forever Night actor wrote a series of vampire novels loosely inspired by Forever Night? And they were called, just so you know, the Ethical Vampire series. Oof. Rough title. <laughs> yeah, I know. The uh, the actors that possibly could have written it were A, uh, our star, Geraint Wynne Davies, B, uh, LaCroix, LaCroix, Nigel Bennett. Uh, we have C, John Kapolis, who plays Skanky, and then D, Catherine Disher, who plays Natalie. Who do you think wrote those series of books? I feel it was Catherine Disher who plays Natalie. Um, unfortunately, it was Nigel Bennett. Really? He, yeah, he wrote uh, a few novels, apparently loosely based. I haven't been able to find them yet, though. He really was into this. I mean, I know he directed a few episodes of this, too, so I think maybe he was just really into this concept. I have to say, he's it's a hard character to play, but I think he's doing a pretty decent job. I, I like his kind of take on it. It's like, it's still kind of mysterious. And uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I think he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, no, he's fantastic in the show, I think. Okay, question th- question the third. <laughs> what was the name of David Hasselhoff's character in Knight Rider? Was it A, David Knight, B, Peter Knight, C, Michael Knight, D, Eric Knight? Michael Knight. Correct. You have your first one. It was Michael Knight. Oh, there we go. I've never seen that show, but I had, a, I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> question four. True or false? Sugar Knight's name is, his nickname, excuse me, is derived from Sugar Bear. 
I'm going to say false. It was true. Apparently, his childhood nickname was Sugar Bear, which apparently then became Sugar Knight. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Question five. Connect the knight with the work they are most connected with. This is either uh, something they wrote, like a famous poem about them. Uh, You're never going to get this, but I'm doing it anyways. Uh, So your four knights and your four works are, your knight is Robert Robert Guizgard. You have Rodrigo Diaz-Vivar. You have Jeffrey DeCharnay, excuse me, and Sir William Marshall. Those are your four knights. And your four works are uh, the Magna Carta, the Book of Chivalry, uh, the Song of Sid, and Dante's Divine Comedy. Who do you think <laughs> went with each one? <laughs> All right. Well, I am I thought I knew who wrote uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, but apparently it's not Dante. So. <laughs> Did not write it. They appeared in it. Oh, they appeared in it. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to say Robbie is in the Book of Chivalry. Roddy is in the, whatever, the Song of Sid. Mm-hmm. Old Jeff is uh, Magna Carta, and then I'm going to put Willie in um, Dante's Inferno. Uh, you got two correct. Pretty good. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, so it was Robert Guiscard was uh, the Magna Carta. He co-wrote and signed it. Uh, Rodrigo de v- uh, Vivar was the Book of Chivalry. Jeffrey de Charny was the Song of the Cid, and uh, Sil William Marshall was in Dante's Divine Comedy. I think I only got one of those <laughs> Ah, well, close enough. (laughs) Question six. (laughs) Question six. What was the name of this knight that starred in both Jurassic Park and Seinfeld? Wayne. Uh, There you go. Wayne Knight. And the characters, of course, were Newman and Dennis uh, Nedry. Question seven. There were three tie-in Forever Night novel published. These are official Forever Night novels. I've seen them online. Which of these is not a title of the book? So you should be able to get this. Here are the four titles I have. One of these is not a Forever Night book. A, Echoes of Sin. B, A Stirring of Dust. C, Intimations of Mortality. D, These Are Revels. I believe it is the first one. What did you, what did you say the first one was? Echoes of Sin. I think Echoes of Sin is incorrect. You're correct. That is not the book. That's one of your personal fanfics, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a long conversation this week. I was like, does this sound like a book? Does this sound like a vampire book? <laughs> <laughs> Good job, though. Um, but yeah, we have to, I have to find those books. There are three books uh, published on the show. It was a popular show. It had, it had lots of uh, fan base. You could get a couple, th- few books out of it anyway. There you go. Uh, question eight. Which famous knight was nicknamed the Black Prince? This is another knight one. I'm sorry. Was it A, Edward of Woodstock, B, Sir James Douglas. C. Guy of Lusignan. D. Sir Henry Percy. Mm, I'm going to say the French guy, the third one. Oh, unfortunately, it was Edward of Woodstock. Don't worry. Two more questions. No more will be about actual knights. Question nine. True or false? There are a chain of chicken and waffle restaurants that bear Gladys Knight's name. I'm sorry? Who? What? (laughs) Gladys Knight, the singer. Are there... A chain of chicken and waffle restaurants that bear her name. Oh, I see. It's a yes or no question. I was like, I don't know yes. what this question is. Do you want me to yeah, name sorry. this restaurant? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, yes. You are correct. Her son owns a restaurant called Gladys Knight and Ron Winnin's Chicken and Waffles. They have three locations in the Atlanta area. So if you're listening from the Atlanta area, let us know how they are. It would have been a weirder question if the answer was no. If you're just like... I just came up with that. I don't know. Does uh, Einstein own a bunch of chicken restaurants somewhere? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, And the final question, and I hope you get this, Luke. 
Jordan Knight was a member of which famous boy band? Was it A, Menudo, B, Take That, C, Boyzone, D, New Kids on the Block? I believe it's New Kids on the Block. You are correct, my friend. There we and, go. Uh, that's, and that's how we play this game slash quiz. <laughs> yeah, I'd call it a quiz. <laughs> it's a quiz. Too many night questions, huh? When you started saying, like, these famous knights, I thought you meant, like, people with the last name Knight. And then I was like, oh, you're talking about actual, like, medieval knights. <laughs> the sad thing is the amount of time I had to, like, spend reading about knights. I was like, is this going to make a good question? And then that's what it ended up with. Honestly, as soon as it happened, I was just like, I bet Jordan's into knights. I do like knights, yeah. What are you, are you a big fan of the Green Knight? I am, yeah. I thought that movie was good, too. Yeah, it was a fun time. Yeah, it was a fun time. But that's not why you called. You called for episode 22, Love You to Death. You called for a different kind of night, a forever night. <laughs> that's right. Here's the IMDb summary for season one, episode 22, Love You to Death. The death of a model recalls for Nick his own infatuation with a beautiful ballerina 100 years ago. Okay, I have a couple things, as I usually do to start this. One, love you to death. Does that title work? Did he love them to death? Yes. Okay. I don't know if I agree. And the second thing, do they ever explain, this is going to become, uh, not the crux of the episode, but there's going to be a, a weird plot point, which is uh, the past and the future, as per the show, there's flashbacks that will connect. I will give them, at least in this episode, they connect as they haven't in some previous. Do they ever explain why the ballerina and the model look exactly the same to the point where the same actress plays them. Because I know they have a couple lines like, isn't that miraculous? She looks exactly like her. But they don't explain why. Oh, Correct? I think it was just because they heard our last podcast and your complaints about how the B plot and the A plot never tie together. And they're like, we're going to really <laughs> nail it this time. He's going to see it for sure now. <laughs> well, I, I say it, that part worked. But I don't know if they ever explained. It wasn't like there's a magical thing of like she's reincarnated or something. It's just like... That's no, just the same actress, who, by the way, is played by Canadian actress Andrea Roth, for anyone who's a, who's a fan. What was she in? I think she was in, um, I think most recently, like, she was in All of Rescue Me. All right, all right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other things she's been in. Other shows, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Fair enough. You're a fan anyway. Yeah, she's a, she's, I'll tell you what, she's better than, um, uh, better actress than this episode would, uh, would make you think. <laughs> it's an early episode for her, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think they ever explain it. I, I think it's mostly just there to, like, tie these stories together a little more, like, succinctly. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think you're right. Like, do you do you want to tie together? Maybe. But I thought I was fine with it. I thought it was just a nice, like, piece. I was, too. It was just one of those things where I was like, are, am I supposed to be getting, is there, like, an underlying idea here? And I didn't think there was. And I wasn't sure if you had thought there was. I, I assume it's just like, well, we wanted to look the same, so just have the same actress player. She will be literally identical yeah i mean the reason the flashbacks start in this episode is because when nick sees her he's immediately reminded of a ballerina he was in love with so i think they were just like let's just have them the same actor so there's not really a question in anyone's mind as to why it's triggering unlike previous episodes where we're like why is this memory triggering anything what i like though is this episode starts with the second time we've seen this which is it's starting with a sexy bath isn't that funny that's the second time in all the few episodes we've watched where they start the exact same way, which is a lady taking a sexy bath. Yeah, it's very erotic. Uh, there's a nice yeah. dressing sequence where she gets all nice and dolled up. Yeah. But then when we see the woman next, she's sitting on a bench in a park. And uh, when a kid's baseball hits her foot, we realize she's a corpse. Yeah. You know what? I think one of the better cold opens this show has done, which is there's kind of a mystery what has happened. Because what you get is uh, you think she's getting ready for something. What you realize is maybe it wasn't even either either she was getting ready and something went 
badly or maybe she wasn't the one getting herself ready and there was some sort of creepy thing um and i was like that's a pretty good cold open for forever night yeah i mean the reveal of the corpse really undoes the sexiness from before when you realize like you were just watching a corpse being manhandled that is true (laughs) i will put this then in there though and i don't think you're wrong i think it's a good cold open it's some fun it's played really sexy until the reveal happens so when you see her sitting in the park, it's supposed to be like, it looks like she's waiting for someone and like, it's like sexy yeah. in the park, but then they just keep cutting to like kids playing baseball. And I was just like, this kid playing baseball thing is really undercutting the other tone that's happening right next to yeah. it. Yeah. And, and this show occasionally has tried to go kind of sexy, maybe not as much as you would think for like a vampire thing. Cause I think we've mentioned it before, you know, they sort of are trying to hit kind of the tropes of the genre. They haven't gone so much into the like you know vampires like having sex sort of thing but there has been a lot of this kind of like early 90s uh uh, eroticism kind of 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 shots like this yeah lingering kind of male gazy shots but it's a very chaste show otherwise yeah agreed but with this uh corpse showing up in the park skanky and nick are put in the case because they're uh murder cops i i'm realizing now i guess they only work on murders yeah and, and can we just say this? So this whole episode, and I just kind of want to like put it aside, for whatever reason, and I know it's kind of his character, like Skanky's gross. He's gross because this whole episode is going to be like dealing with models. So he's just going to make a lot of like kind of gross comments. He's like, can you believe like models? Like they're sexy. And it's just like, it's tiring and it's annoying. So let's just say like, that's what his character does the whole episode. No, it's true. I mean, the opening is they realize this dead woman is a lingerie model for classy intimates. A, uh, I guess it's their Victoria's <laughs> Secret amalgam. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And so what it is, is we do get to see a bunch of cops watching slideshows of uh, Victoria's Secret models and Skanky making comments about it. And although I will say, Skanky says one thing here that I was just like, did Skanky actually have one piece of good advice in this episode? Because he's they're making fun of him for having a lot of lingerie catalogs in his uh, locker. And he's trying to make excuses for why he has them. Mm-hmm. He defends himself by saying the quickest way to a woman's heart is to buy her underwear that fits. And I was like, you know what? That's fair. That's actually a fair uh, request. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's like that doesn't excuse why you have what, what is it? What is uh, the equivalent of like it's not pornographic, but. At a workplace, like, you're having all these things. It's like, it's just inappropriate skanky, you know. No, absolutely. It was just funny when he got to the excuse. I'm like, all right, well, that that point's fair, I guess. Yeah. And so, like, I, I kind of feel bad for the actor because he's kind of saddled with this sort of, like, he can't stop gawking at ladies. Can you believe it? And it's just like, okay, we, we get it. It's just like, it's just to a point where, like, I know he's in some sense kind of the comic relief. But I actually will argue in the next episode, I feel like it is the best portrayal of Skanky so far. And he actually seemed more like an actual human being and less like a some sort of uh, clown as he kind of is in this episode. Well, maybe a change between seasons. But I will say, I think this episode really drew into sharp focus. I understand his character more than ever now in terms of like what its dynamic is supposed to be in this episode. Because, you know, we've discussed Forever Night for quite a bit now and kind of what it is. And... You know, it's not a cop show. It's not like all these things it could be. It's really kind of a romance novel, if anything. Like, that's the tone they're mm-hmm. going for. And, you know, Nick plays that to a T of this kind of vampire who's broody. And, like, what we'll see in this episode, like, this is what we see when he, they're looking at the Molly bottles, is he's not that interested in the women or their bodies. What he sees, though, is a woman he used to be in love with in the slideshow. And, like, this starts as flashbacks. And what we, But what we see from him is, you know, more of a... a a romantic sort of view of, of things and skanky is really providing the opposite of that like if this is a romance novel skanky is your like 
dumb husband at home who's scratching his crotch and drinking beer. Like he's really providing that kind of just like, here's here's your gross husband at home and here's like your dream man. And like it's a real romance novel thing I think they're trying to do is like they're, they're giving you the perfect dreamy man in or like their version of it in Nick Knight. And then Skinky is supposed to be there, that contrast of just like, these are the men around you and you hate them because look how gross they are. Yeah, I think that's probably a good point. I think you probably have something there. Um, it's it's odd. Like, I think it's it does make it tough to like have a character you like. But I was watching it. And I'm just like, I think I see what the initial concept of was pairing these two together. It's for that like extreme contrast. Right. But but in this scene, as you said, they're sort of looking at a slideshow. I don't know why the cops need to look at a slideshow of models to know what models look like. But regardless, that's what they're doing. And uh, and and this sort of uh, triggers Nick's first flashback. We're going to go back quite a bit to I think it's the is it the 1800s? I think it's one of the newer flashbacks we've had for him. I believe they say it's about 100 years beforehand. OK, so, yeah, so 18 something. And and basically what we get is. It looks like almost all of it takes place pretty much like at um, at a ballet um, where he is someone who is watching this ballet. So we're going to get it back and forth a lot and we're going to see it because, as we mentioned to begin with, this model that he sees a picture of looks remarkably like this woman from his past who he has um, uh, not unresolved feelings, but he has there's a um, there has been a resolution in the relationship with her and how he feels he acted. Yes, yes. I mean, that's sort of the, the what the episode is mostly about, the, how the B-plot ties the A-plot anyway. Uh, maybe let's just talk about the flashback now since we're getting into it. Is, um, what, do you know which, do you know which uh, ballet he's, they're going to? No, I don't. I think it's Swan Night. I think they're seeing Swan Night. Oh. Or it's not Swan, Swan Lake. Night. Swan Lake. Everything's Swan Lake. night in this show. They've changed all the titles yeah. to everything. He, uh, he goes to see um, <laughs> Lady in the Night at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, this is 100 years ago. Nick is a bit different than he is today. Not that much, though. What we see is, which is kind of interesting, is they really have a timeline of where Nick is in his evolution Mm -hmm. to not wanting to be a vampire anymore. And a hundred years ago, apparently, he's already kind of hates being a vampire. He he doesn't like doing it, but he hasn't stopped killing yet. Because as comes out in the flashbacks, is that he's still killing. um, uh, How do what do they say? They say only murderers and derelicts, which unfair to the derelicts. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> fair. Um, but uh, it, yeah, a bit of an interesting turn for him to sort of show. I think the furthest we've gone back is like 1600s, and so over that time, he is having very small sort of baby steps to a different morality or seeing his life different, which I think is interesting. I don't, I don't think the execution is the strongest in this show, but I think there's like if you want to read into things and sort of like fill in the blanks more than the show does, I think there's there's a little bit of substance there. Well, just interesting in that I, I can see now that if I watch it, and we'll have to see as we as we go, mm. whether you can see inconsistency with, with where Nick's journey is as a vampire in the flashbacks or if they've got like a plan in the background. They're like, at this point, he's already at this stage. At this point, he's at this stage. It's just interesting they really called it out. Mm. So I was like, well, you're really setting a bar for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, but the point is, Nick has been attending these performances of this ballet quite a bit. They've, uh, I think someone says they've gone more than 17 times to see this uh, to see this ballet because he's been going with his friends, Jeanette and LaCroix, who always appear in these, don't always appear in these flashbacks, but do appear in the flashbacks quite a bit as his vampire family. And he's been obsessed with a ballerina in the play. That's why they've gone so often. And what we learn over the course of these flashbacks is Nick really sees this ballerina 
as purity. He's become obsessed with this idea that she's the opposite of him. She's this pure, perfect being where he's this disgusting, evil vampire. And he can't he, he can't stop going because he's fallen in love with the this idea of a pure this pure woman, who, someone he can never be again. Yeah, she's this personification of purity for him. And as a result, he refuses to meet her. No matter how much LaCroix or Jeanette like, try to encourage him to just go say hi after a show, he just won't do it because he, he doesn't want to taint that purity. It, this obsession of his with her is like built her up in her, and put her on a pedestal in his mind where he can't even come close to her. Um, and of course, as we know, LaCroix is always annoyed when Nick doesn't want to like vamp it up fully. He, he wants that guy to be like a full vampire or nothing at all. Yeah, that's right. He's just, well, his, his point always is just like, I've given you this. He sees it as a gift. He thinks it's something you should be enjoying all the time. And the fact that Nick is not enjoying it seems like he's sort of flabbergasted all the time. Yeah, he's your bro who's out of the bar. He's like, just have some shots, man. Why are you pouting so much? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you liked it for the first 200 years. <laughs> um, so LaCroix begins an effort to sort of tear down Nick's, Nick's image of this ballerina. Um, and it's mostly done by he he starts claiming she's not as pure as Nick thinks, that in fact she's a prostitute behind the scenes of the play. Um, and he even like drags Nick backstage at one point and he points out as two men leave her dressing room. He's just like, look at that. You see, 100% a prostitute. And Nick, of course, doesn't want to believe this. And he's just like, no way. She was clearly just robbed. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to figure out what they stole. I'm going to have them arrested. And he, he busts into her dressing room. But she's sitting there. She's sitting there smiling. And she sees Nick. And she's very excited to see Nick. Because this ballerina has noticed this man who's come to 17 or more shows of her play. Of her ballet. Yeah, the, this is the scene where they, they have like a, like a heart-to-heart. She's basically like, I love you, right? Yeah, it's an interesting thing is that... She doesn't get a lot of time to see what her perspective is, but she's basically like, I've noticed you coming a lot to this show, and I've been watching you, and I think there's supposed to be a parallel that, like, she's become a little obsessed with this guy who she feels like, you know, he's clearly staring at her from the, like, balcony and, like, watching her every show. And I don't think they fully land why she would be in love with him exactly, but I think we're supposed to think it's, like, a 100 years ago, and they were, you know, making eyes at each other, and that was enough to get married back then or something. Who knows? But Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, because I kind of thought, I thought that was one of the clunkier things, because I thought the parallel they were trying to do, and we will be talking about the A-plot shortly, is that Nick being reflected, the same sort of, let's say, kind of creepy behavior being reflected in uh, the person who we're going to find as a kidnapper, um, kidnapper murderer in the future. I thought it was like, the same sort of, uh, uh, you know, going down the same path and, and how her response might be a little bit different in, 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 in the, in, uh, in the two different scenarios. But I just, that was the one part that I was just like, this just lands flat because like, even if you saw her perspective, I'm like, just see, I, it, I just, it didn't, it didn't fall true at all. The only problem is she says she loves him. That's literally, I think the only issue with it. Yeah. If she had been like, I've seen you coming and I was hoping you'd come back and talk to me. Cause that's what she says for a while. She's like, I wanted you to come talk to me. I'd be interested. I like saw you at another performance. I was kind of curious who you were. That's fine. I think what it is is they need to push Nick a little further because Nick starts talking to her. He's obviously attracted to her, but he's still like full of self-loathing. He doesn't want to like ruin this. You know, he's like, you're perfect. I can't be near you. And she's just like, no, it's cool. Like I've been hoping you'd come back here and you'd meet with me. And they need something to push her a little further. So I think they give her this idea. It's like, I've also been in love with you, I guess. Uh, mm. You know, it's not it doesn't quite land. But I think what was important really is that, like, it gets Nick to kiss her. Like, they kiss while they're backstage. And as soon as Nick kisses her, 
it like destroys his like he assumed she'd reject him and that's the thing he he she can't reject him or this plot doesn't work she's like flattered she's interested in him and that's the opposite of what nick feels like she should do she should see him and immediately know because she's pure that he is evil and reject him that's what he expects to happen yeah but his hair is just too sexy he he just didn't count for it but I mean, he's also just like a dude. She's just meeting a dude, and she's yeah. just a human person who like was like, "Oh, you're you're attractive. I think you're kind of cute. Like, it'd be nice to hang out with you." And when they kiss, it causes Nick to be like, "This is this is his his the demon that's haunted him for years." Is he he immediately rejects her? He's like, "Oh, if you really were pure, you would never have kissed me because I'm so disgusting. I'm such a disgusting m- monster." She doesn't know any of what's going on in his head. Uh, but he now is like a graze of the Croix. She's clearly not pure. Otherwise, she would never have thrown herself at him. And he proceeds to murder her just out of like disgust, disgust for her. Like she's yeah. she's nothing what she thought he was. She, you know, it's the it's the um, uh, what's it the uh, the like um, whore uh, uh, Mary. What's, what's the sort of? what's the dichotomy? Virgin mother sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like she should be perfect, and the fact that she like mm. is attracted to him at all means she's disgusting, and he murders her for it. Yeah, and I have to say, one of the more interesting things I think this show has done. Um, again, I think I, I think I probably know where this is going. I didn't love this episode, but I thought there was some interesting ideas, and I just don't know. I don't really like the way it was developed, but I think the showing that he actually killed her and they didn't cop out on that. I was like, good on you guys. That like. It wasn't a thing where you find out like, oh, he didn't actually. It was like, no, no, he he did something. He now regrets it forever. Thus, when he's now seeing someone who looks just like him, obviously in his head he's thinking, I can do things better because I'm a better person now. And I was like, okay, there's an actual connection that these two plot lines, you know, can hold each other up. Yeah, no, it it, it raises two plot lines. Both plot lines are about obsession, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. So they really, I thought they tied well together. And um, just to wrap up sort of the flashback what's revealed at the end is uh after he murders her and drinks her blood uh, Lacroix walks in with the two guys who had just walked out and they're also vampires it turns out and it turns out Lacroix was just like he basically it was a setup he was just gaslighting it was just a hilarious prank yeah yeah it was just it was it was just a way to get Nick back onto the vampire side yeah. although I will say I was just like Lacroix this gaslight would have worked better had you not mentioned it because like now that Nick sees it, it was all a trick like it really just like digs him in further into his like anti-vampire stance i think what we're supposed to think is at this moment nick realizes i think he says it in the episode that um he was projecting onto this woman and like he he may be evil he may be a monster of the night but he shouldn't like decide which humans are good or bad like that's not his that's not his role that's not his job he can only work on himself as kind of the idea Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's basically the flashback i i thought it was an interesting flashback i thought it was one of their more interesting ones and i thought it i thought it worked well as a standalone, but also within the terms of the episode itself. Yeah, I think structurally it was there. It was one of the better ones they had done. Again, I find, and this is probably just has to do more with your actual viewing. I find the show's pacing so plodding that it's just like, okay, guys, get to it. And I feel like they repeat things over and over and over. Um, but I think you're right. I think uh, I'm going to give them that the A and the B at least go together and make sense. And this was like a coherent script so points for that (laughs) well back to the main plot is this this 
lingerie model who died. She's been missing for four months. And now that she's turned up asphyxiated with no other signs of trauma, they're a little confused as to what happened to her. They thought she had just gone missing, but now that they found her and their autopsies come back and she, they found she's had a high-end gourmet meal in her stomach and she doesn't seem to have any abuse on her. There's just like the slightest indication she was asphyxiated. It is a real mystery as to what happened to her. There's a funny part there, though, where they're like, oh, and she has, like, really rich food. In, and and that Natalie's, like, uh, you know, going through the different stuff. And I can't remember what it is. It's, like, caviar and whatever, you know, the the stereotype of fancy food is. And she goes, and champagne, good champagne. And I was like, okay, there's no way in the autopsy you'd know the difference between uh, champagne, uh, like, a bad champagne and a good champagne. She runs a little chemical test and a little, yeah. a little the computer says, good or bad. <laughs> She's like, ooh, this was expensive. No, this one was baby duck. <laughs> But but yes, the point is she wasn't. Uh, uh, they it, it, the body seems to have been, uh, or the person I should say, via the the autopsy. It's that she was wined and dined sort of thing. Yes, yes. And so Nick and Skanky head out. They're going to do interviews with uh, a photographer, some lingerie models, all the people who are kind of in her life. And they happen to be doing a lingerie photo shoot that day at the Vampire Club, The Raven. So we got to go back to The Raven. And I love like there's no reason for them to shot this at a bar because this would have been the worst lingerie shoot ever. Like, it's just like a dumb-looking bar. They don't even throw up, like a, a, like, a seamless. No, no, it's all gothy. It's got those chains hanging from the roof. Yeah, it's 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 awful. But, uh, hey, let me <laughs> mention one thing real quick. Uh, how long did it take you to, to figure out who the, who the killer is? Oh, well, that's pretty simple. I mean, what they're trying to do is present a few <laughs> possibilities as they interview people. Like, they meet the yeah. they meet the photographer who's a bit of a jerk in a sleazebag. They meet some of the other models. But there's this quick cutaway where, like, they're like, and the camera assistant's here. And he's this, like, little nerdy dweeb with glasses who they force to do something yeah. he's, like, uncomfortable with. And you're like, well, that's him. That's the one who did it. Yeah. It's, it is funny because it's like the show at, at, I think, in its greatest aspirations, I think you're probably right. And it's something I hadn't really... Uh, uh, honed in on which is that this is a uh, a romance novel sort of feel to it and i think at sometimes that's their highest aspiration of this sort of like very large melodramatic everything is a um uh, a big grand decision and everything is uh, life altering um and love and hate and death and war um but but at the same time it has like uh like the mysteries and stuff and the crimes are like like the 1966 Batman show, like they're like they're like kid logic and uh, complications. Where I was just like, guys, if this is like th- this. This is their weakest thing is like the the sort of crime of the week. Which to be fair, I don't think is what they're most interested in. They're most interested in, in the morality of what Nick's decisions are. Yeah, and I don't think this is that different from like probably 75 percent of the shows on TV at this time. I don't think this was a period of time where like. The red herrings were that red and like the like I think this was a period of time where you showed who the criminal was pretty early on and what you're watching is like how the detectives put it together. I'm not saying this is the best version of it, but I do think this is from a period of time where this wasn't unusual. I'll say this as a slight uh, uh, disagreement and, and I, I don't feel strongly about this, but I, w- I happen to watch this and in a 1993 episode of the X-Files, both in the same night. And obviously these are budgetary uh shows that have very different budgets and they have shows that have very different uh kind of quality of writing and things but i mean the sophistication of the x-files which not hasn't aged terribly well in every aspect compared to this is like it's like monumental but you're talking about the top of the tier you're topping top tier 90s tv that changed what tv did versus what i, I think was that. like standard tv at the time <laughs> right i'm just saying I, i'm just saying it's not like across the board this is like 
No, you know no. I'm, saying? I'm just I, saying, like, it is what it is. I'm saying 75% of TV was doing this, and then there's, like, another 25% that we remember that was good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, I just think there is a bit of a time period. And I'm not saying this is, this is still clumsily done, but I don't think it's unusual for you to watch a period show from this time period and be like, well, that's the bad guy, because they cut to this guy we've never seen before. Okay. Fair enough. I'll give you that. Um, but, I mean, it is funny, and I mean, you know, I, it's part of the thing I enjoy about it is just, like, they cut away and, like, here's a new character we haven't introduced. I'm like, oh, well, I wonder if he's the murderer. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's it's telegraphed quite obviously i don't think it even takes away from it because they don't even like hide it that far i think they hide it for like maybe 10 more minutes before you eventually see the guys so it's not like i don't even think they would they even thought it was that clever it's just like eh, we'll hold it off for a scene or two it's more about how the detectives put it together less about what it's less about surprising the audience like the the audience wants to know i think at this period of time people are just like yeah let the audience know and then it's fun mm. for them to watch the detectives put it together yeah fair enough at the lingerie shoot, though, this is when Nick meets the uh, face of Classy Intimates, Lucy Preston, who is the splitting image of the ballerina mm. from his flashbacks. So there's this little moment where he finally gets to meet this woman who he saw in these photos, who is, is this odd, odd uh, reflection of something that happened to him ages ago and, and is tied to this crime that seems to be about obsession. Yeah. And uh, um, it's it's we don't get I feel kind of bad for the actress again because I don't think we. She doesn't really get a chance to be very a three-dimensional character. The most you get is that she is kind of uncomfortable being overly sexual and um, I, she takes her job serious. Um, but other than that, she's just kind of a vehicle for men to sort of toy with. I think she had the, one of the best lines in the show, Jordan. What's that? It's when uh, Nick goes to talk to her and she mistakes him for being from some sort of like a gentleman's magazine, some nudie magazine who wants her to do a shoot on it. And then when Nick's like, no, 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 I'm, uh, he flashes a badge. He's like, I'm Detective Nick Knight. I'm here to ask some questions about the missing model. And she's like, oh, so you're a cop detective? You're a cop detective? That's what she said? She says, so you're a cop detective? And I'm just like, yep, yep that's usually what that means. But okie dokie. <laughs> um, and, and this is, the, you know, this sort of the triggers Nick to have one of his many flashbacks um, as he goes and broods at home. And I like that he puts in a CD at one point. He like to really nail down his mood. He has to put in a CD of like sad music. Now, I know you phase this stuff out, but this is really where Jeanette comes because she's at the photo shoot and Herman and Nick talk. And I kind of like these scenes because it shows sort of their relationship with Nick and uh, Jeanette. Basically, Nick never explained to Jeanette whatever happened to the ballerina back, back then. And by the end of this, he'll basically do a full confession and kind of unload this burden he's been carrying. That's sort of a part of the plot. And I didn't mind. I like that it shows that Nick and Jeanette, I think there might have been a romance there, but now it's really kind of like a family. Like this is one of the few people who know him and like one of the few people he can confide in. And I kind of liked I was seeing a little bit of like progression with a relationship there of just like these two people who've known each other for so long, but maybe haven't always been like on the best of terms. See, it's, it's funny we saw it because I didn't feel like there was any progression. I feel like we're going over the same beat over and over. I think there's this like weird cat and mouse thing they do in every conversation they have. And it just is like, you know, results in nothing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was that way. But it was. I do know what you mean, though. Like, you know, they do repeat beats a lot. And so what their beat repeat is, is that Nick won't come clean. And she's sort of being like, you know... If you want to tell me, you can tell me. I'm here for you. And by the end of the episode, he will finally come clean about it. But as a result, we end up with a couple beats in the middle where Nick just never just won't say what happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think to a, a point you've made it in, in an earlier podcast, some of this might be, uh, you know, how much you can withstand this sort of stuff is how much you like this kind of show. And I think 
you know, uh, a little more for you than for me because a lot of the stuff I'm just like, guys, like, let's just get it going because it's just it's it's so pedantic that it just makes me want to pull my hair out. Right, right. I mean, it's not a plot-driven show by any means. It's it's an emotionally driven show, and they're. I'm not mm. saying they're landing it perfectly by any means. Like, I think you know, it the emotional beats still need to like flow, and there's a little too many times where they repeat a beat just to like drive it home. But I think they care less about the plot and more about like emotional stakes. And I, you know, I'm not saying they're always landing it by any means, but it's definitely not. They care so little for the plot that I think what they're looking for is like, how do we like show you know longing and like all these things and these sexy vampire ideas right well we and we go back to the, i think it's the they have like a couple quick scenes but i think the next one is the model getting a package in the mail right and immediately you as a viewer know something sketchy about it it's like that sort of classic stalker package it's like it's too perfect a uh, present you know does she get that at home yeah she well she gets i don't know if she gets it in uh, at the office. No, here I'll tell. I, I actually know. Now and then, look at my notes. I think I know what you're talking about here. She never ends up leaving the photo shoot. Like it just all takes place in one day. So when she leaves the photo shoot, she's immediately right. kidnapped. Lucy Preston's kidnapped. And what we will yes. see is that after she's kidnapped, she's essentially old boyed. Like she's yes. locked in a room that's like looks like a perfect bedroom. It looks fine. It looks like it's dressed for like a '90s romance novel. There's bars on all the windows. Some of the windows are bricked up and she's trapped in there and someone slides through the door, a package, and inside is a beautiful dress. And we know now that she's been kidnapped in the same way the last model was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's right. I mix up, I forgot the very important part that she's being kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, she went home and she got a beautiful thing and then she found all her windows were bricked up. Well, you know what it is? It's uh, There's a funny thing, and I'm sure you organize your notes differently than I do, but I'm sort of doing it as the episode does. And because this show has to flash back and forward so often, when we don't talk about it in that in that way, I'm like, what happens? Because my notes are just done chronologically. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I just forgot that she had been abducted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's quickly, I'll just cover some of her abduction here. So I'll make you jump over your yeah. notes again. But what we'll see in the abduction is basically, uh, you know, what we're seeing is probably what happened to the original model is she's trapped there. She's getting good meals she's getting beautiful clothes it's a beautiful space but she's trapped she can't get out and at some point in frustration she throws something at a mirror in the room it smashes and when it smashes who's behind it but charlie the uh camera assistant the creepy camera assistant we saw earlier Mm -hmm. this nerdy this nerdy guy and he's just like hey sorry i kidnapped you but i'm trying to protect you i want to make sure these people don't exploit you that's why you're here and that's that's kind of where we get the idea of just like we know who we very quickly. I mean, not very quickly, but this is half of the episode. The big turn is like we know who's done it, basically. Yeah, and and he's acting he's acting almost in the exact same way, not in the exact same way, but in a similar path uh, that Nick was. It's sort of like he just wants to watch her and see her as this perfect virginial sort of uh, uh, um, uh, person without without really thinking there's a personality or. or you know flaws to it so yeah it's that like, obsession he, he, is is, is yeah, the exactly. paralleled and you know she asks what happened to the last one and he's just like she just didn't listen to me that's why she died so if you just listen to me we'll be fine yeah right and and i'll, I'll give this credit because we're going to get the, the um pretty soon in one of the next scenes is that she sort of figures this out very quickly is that oh i, I need to survive this and the way i'm going to survive this is i'm going to I guess eventually seduce, but sort of like do whatever he wants. I'm just going to be very compliant to the point where I'm not going to give him any reason to murder me. I'm not getting murdered is, is basically what she's doing. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and not get murdered. Yeah, she's going to play along till she sees a way out, essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah. Back to the back to the investigation though into the murders of the model uh, and the now missing model is the photographer. They've come to find out he he was also I guess the manager for many of the models. Like he he discovered them. He's brought them up. I, the like logistics of why the photographer is also the manager who is also in charge of the photo shoots for class. Like, I don't know if there's like they're kind of giving one guy too many roles, but that's fine. It doesn't really matter because they need to streamline this show. But apparently he's been trying to convince uh, Lucy Preston and I guess some of the other models to do a lucrative photo shoot for Gentleman's Magazine called Kitten Club. Mm hmm. And as a result, he kind of becomes the first red herring suspect for the for the uh, for the uh, for the detectives to look into. So when Lucy goes missing, they they they're realizing that like it has something to do with the photography set. They find out that the last corpse had some photo developer on the body. So they're like, let's go to the studio. Let's uh, let's talk to this guy and find out what's going on. But when they get there. He's already hung himself inside the dark room, and he's left a suicide note. So the photographer's dead. They're a prime suspect. And the suicide note says that he killed the first model and that Lucy's body is somewhere in Lake Ontario, and they're never going to find it. And we as the audience are pretty aware that, like, the real kidnappers clearly killed this man to cover up his own crimes. And to Nick's credit, he's, he's recognizing that the last body was too well cared for. He's seeing signs of obsession. He's like, I don't, I don't fully buy that maybe this is the end of this story. Yeah. And we're and we we sort of flash back from this back to the um, the model who I think at this point it finds out that the package is a dress she's putting it on and uh, I think he admits to her he's the murderer and then we keep like flashing back and I think we're in the uh, it's, it's he's at the club and I remember Lorraine like Nick how dumb are you like this case could like figure this out and he's just like yakking about you know the past and how he loved ballet and he kissed her and blah blah blah. And it's like, come on, solve this case, Nick. <laughs> you want you want to you know? keep his eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, yeah. Oh, and, and uh, did you notice one weird thing, Luke? Did you notice that twice in this episode, uh, Skanky pulls his phone out and they use a transporter noise from Star Trek? I did not notice that. It happened twice. The first time I rewound it, I was like, that can't be true. And I'm telling you, there's no way they had the rights to this. It's literally this from the original Star Trek. For whatever reason, there's a background noise. It happens twice, and it's the transporter noise. And I don't know why it's in there. Is it when he places a collar just when he pulls it out of his pocket? It's when he pulls it out of his pocket. Interesting. So so in this show, they're transporting a uh, <laughs> telephone to Skanky every time. I don't know. But if, when, if you go back, Luke, I'm telling you, it's there. Well... Back to the case, Jordan. Uh, Dr. Nat, who has been doing an autopsy on the dead photographer, of course, he, she finds some odd stuff. He's got some chloroform in his blood. There seems to have been no fingerprints at the crime scene. So this really is just like showing there's, there's a problem here. And Skanky's been doing his own investigations. Turns out somebody called the Gentleman's Magazine and pulled out of the very lucrative deal. And, you know, all of this is very suspicious. And this all sort of points to someone who knew the case. And at this point, they're just like, we better go talk to this camera assistant, Charlie. Yeah. And it's all sort of starts like coming together now. Um, and honestly, I, I know we're, we're going through this beat by beat, but at this point of the episode, I was just like, guys, we got to wrap this up. I can't believe how long we're spending. Just, <laughs> just save, save, save this poor model. Well, the model's fine because she's going to save herself. She's dressed up in the costume. She's been like being compliant with Charlie and she's been flattering him, thanking him for his protection. And then she invites him basically into her cell to have dinner with him. She's like, why don't we have dinner together? Like, it'd be nice. And... It's at this point, and you mentioned this earlier, like she's she's going to seduce Charlie. But it, the thing is, mm -hmm. she's misunderstood what Charlie's yeah. obsession is. 
So she's like, maybe if I pretend to seduce him, he'll come in here and I can get the upper hand. But as soon as she starts trying to like kiss him, that's not what he wants. He wants to keep her pure, much like Nick, his obsession is about yeah, keeping it, her pure. It ruins the spell. So like she's like in the bed being like, come on, want to do it with me? And he gets angry and sort of attacks her. And she grabs a bottle and smashes it over her head and she gets out. Yes, and yes. at this point I thought, I hope this is kind of the end of the episode, meaning that everything that Nick and Skanky do... <laughs> Is, it means nothing because this model is like it could have just been like the model and what she was doing because she's the only important person in this episode. Well, it was it was it was obviously not your favorite thing, but I did like it. I did like that she misunderstood. He immediately tries to smother her with a pillow, which is what happened to the last model. So you kind of know like this is this cycle yeah. has repeated, but this time the model's able to escape by smashing him in the head with a bottle. Yeah, she she gets out, and what I like is so they they like th- this this one part was like blocked weird, but like. She gets pretty far into like a, like a kind of a park forest sort of area. Yeah, Jordan, she's, in, she's in a classic Toronto forest. <laughs> and it's just like, and then she pulls out a pitchfork that's just like there. And I was like... It's not just the pitchfork, though. There's a pitchfork just sitting there willy-nilly next to an axe and some chopped wood willy-nilly. I'm just like, what is this forest <laughs> in the center of Toronto? <laughs> they, they ran out of an apartment building. It was very bizarre. But here's what I did get. How, how did... Because what's going to happen very quickly is she has the pitchfork... Nick is going to fly in vampire styles because he hasn't done anything all episode. And what we're going to get is, you know, a struggle and this bad guy is going to get stabbed with the pitchfork. But how did he dig? Did he just grab it out of her hands? Because it would it happened all so fast in the dark. I didn't see what happened. You didn't notice. I thought you'd love this part because it is just like in the pilot is the model Lucy. She grabs the pitchfork and she's keeping him at bay. Just like in the pilot, how uh, Nicole DeBoer had that stick of fire that she was keeping the serial killer at bay with. (laughs) And he just grabs it out of her hand as if he doesn't care. And then just turns it around on her. (laughs) Right. But again, ultimately, it will be lead to his demise because he's going to get in struggle uh, when he's going to pitchfork himself when he like goes for Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick shows up. Nick like karate chops the pitchfork in half. Then uh, the guy comes at Nick with just the, like, wooden stake. Nick just parries. He just dodges. And the guy falls down and lands right on the pitchfork, straight through his chest. It's very funny. I was laughing really hard. He rolls over and just, like, a pitchfork in his chest. Yeah. And that's it. We get, like, another flashback, which we've already gone through. And then, like, Vampire Jeanette and and Nick, like, discuss, like, how killing's wrong. I was like, wowie zowie. What an amazing moral for this episode. What they talk about at the end here is they're talking... Killing is wrong. They do talk about how killing's (laughs) wrong. But they also talk about how they're feeling a connection they haven't felt in years. The, like, there's there's this idea that there's, like, a vampire... There's vibes. There's vampire vibes in the world. They're feeling like they're more psychically connected than ever. And they're like, it's weird this is happening because we haven't felt this way in a long time. And then the camera, like, pushes out the window... And who's standing up above in the rafters looking down at them? Why, it's LaCroix. He's not dead after all. It's a real cliffhanger for season two. Yeah, he's back. Instead of like coming up with like a different vampire or something else, he's back again. He's been gone for a couple days. That's great. I want LaCroix back. I'm happy he's coming back. I was fine with him in the flashbacks. Oh, no. I was I was missing him in real time. I need more LaCroix. Well, he's back. and that's And that's that episode. All right. Well, let's get into the next one. Let's start season two, Jordan. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 2, Episode 1, Killer Instinct. Did you know that there was blood in your refrigerator? I told the guys that there was a perfectly good explanation for it. And I've been trying, you know, to come up with one, but... Cow's blood. I use it as a paint thickener. Old European technique. I use it to thicken my oils. <laughs> well, there it is. 
I knew there had to be an explanation for it. It's just, well, I didn't doubt you or anything, but, you know, it's blood. You know? While investigating a series of bizarre murders, Nick discovers the villain is a familiar face from the past. Yes, LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> um, it opens up with a uh, classic drug deal scene. I-, I think we've seen exactly this scene play out in Tech War very recently. <laughs> That's right. It is very similar, isn't it? It's just a lady buying drugs from some overdressed drug dealer. He's like in a three-piece suit. <laughs> As soon as the drug dealer's over, a hooded figure appears from nowhere and murders the drug dealer. And uh, this is the start of the mystery. But then to add a layer onto the mystery, after the drug dealer is murdered, uh, LaCroix has been watching the whole thing. He flies down and stands over the body. And um, we're kind of picking up right where season one left off. LaCroix back, but nobody knows it yet. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like your cold open. And then we get, which is something that I laughed about, is we go to Nick in his apartment and he's getting ready for work. Uh, and what's he doing, Luke? He's in a tanning bed. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's in the tanning bed because it's like um, a representation of light uh, or sunlight, I should say. He's burning a little bit yes. because he's a vampire. So the implication being he's hurting himself a little bit, but his skin will still tan. My understanding is because he's talking to Dr. Nat afterward, and this is part of her vampire treatments for him. She's yes. giving him light therapy. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just like, but I don't know how this would work. Like burning yourself a little bit, what's going to treat like teach him how to withstand more sun? I think that's the idea. I mean, it's not super clear, but what they sort of talk about here, and I kind of like this idea. I like it's an interesting concept, but for some reason, Doctor Nat has seems to think, I guess, like with the protein blood, like with making him eat food, that if she just exposes him to enough things vampires don't like he'll develop an immunity and i don't know i don't know if she thinks he'll become mortal again it feels like you need to like fix a curse to do that but she's like got some sort of plan where i'm just like can you aversion therapy someone back to being mortal i'm curious yeah so i think i think it's the um it's like one of a million things she's trying it does feel like maybe i I don't know it's it seems a little fruitless but you know good honor for trying it's a funny gag to see him in a tanning bed at the start yeah. of season two yeah so um uh and we and we know natalie's working because like while he's doing it it's she's talking on his like voicemail sort of thing um we, we go to a crime scene and we find that there has been a change in this season in that this captain shows up and it's a new captain the uh the one from the first season has uh, i guess been promoted or changed uh, divisions because we have a new new captain on the board well they say specifically that nick and skanky have been transferred to a new precinct oh did they i missed that well that's why they're there that's why they're at the crime scene is they're actually both on a day off but they're desperately trying to win brownie points with this yeah. new captain because they're new to the squad they're a little worried about it and skanky's being like extra nice to everybody the idea being like they've moved somewhere new and what I like is now Skanky and Nick have a real partnerships happening. Like it feels like some times past their partnerships, like maybe because they've moved somewhere new or the outsiders, they've really like come together and they're like trying to work together for things. But it's very funny to be, there's a new captain. Uh, what's her name? Amanda Cohen. And they're really just trying to anything to get in her good books. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, I think I mentioned at the beginning of this recording that I like what they've done with Skanky's character. He's a much more three dimensional character in this episode. He, feels more like a human being he's not just a joke like he you feels like an actual detective maybe he still has some of those kind of weird foibles of like kind of being kind of gross sometimes or saying the wrong thing but he actually feels like maybe he's a competent police officer as opposed to just like 
the comic relief. Right, right, right. I mean, it's just interesting seeing this switch from the seasons. Like, it feels like these mm-hmm. characters know each other a bit better now, so those relationships have developed a little bit. Yeah. At any rate, this murder is of the drug dealer, and it apparently is part of a series of killings of drug dealers that's been happening lately. And um, Skanky will get word via the uh, pre-Saints gossip uh, sort of grapevine that the Internal Affairs Division is actually investigating the murders too. Because it's all kill uh, dead drug dealers, and they all seem to tie back to this pre-Saint, there's, there's some idea that the suspect may be uh, inside of the police station itself, perhaps a cop of some sort. Yeah, so yeah, so it's going to be another thing that's going to be held up through this whole episode is that Internal Affairs will constantly kind of be there nipping at their heels the whole time and we'll just really quickly maybe just deal with the it's not really a b plot there's not really a well there is a b plot but this isn't this is the flashbacks anyway so we'll just deal with them really quickly when nick was getting the tanning bed when he's at this crime scene he like feels something he feels a tug of something this this idea that they tease the end of season one that there's like a connection between vampires and perhaps that connection is stronger when your makers nearby like this idea that you can sense mm-hmm. each other and nick's been training not to be a vampire so his has been weak lately but as they said in that last episode he's been feeling closer to Jeanette and now he's feeling like someone's watching him he feels like there's a new vampire in town we of course know it's LaCroix but this leads to the flashback every time he feels this pull what we see is over the course of the episode these very brief flashbacks but it's, I think it's going back to the 1600s when Nick was sired and what we're mm-hmm. seeing is the times LaCroix was training him to use his like vampire spidey senses to track him through a, a catacomb yeah that's right I really like yeah. Nick's hair. He's got a huge mullet in these scenes. Well, it's, it's funny because like, and you just have to kind of allow it because of clearly what, whatever budget they had. But it's like, he still has this very like 90s, almost pompadour, puffed up, blown dry hair. But they're like, well, he needs long hair. It's the 1500s. So they've just like clipped on hair extensions at the bottom. So he has this weird Billy Ray Cyrus-esque hair. It's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. It is, It is like I said, it's so romance novel, some of these choices that I just like, yeah. you, I can't look at it any other way. Yeah, like their candle budget was bigger than any budget on this show. <laughs> but yes, this is really all the flashbacks are, and they're really more tied to the B story of that LaCroix's back in town. If the A story is the murder, the B story is LaCroix's back in town. And these little flashbacks aren't a story onto themselves, but what we're seeing is this, I guess it's just more vampire lore than anything that like, they're trying to explain like how this is a superpower these vampires have. And, and I think the one thing I should mention is I like this episode better than the last one. I have a feeling maybe I'm wrong that you like will have liked the previous episode better. And I think it's a point that maybe uh, you made earlier, which is this is a little bit more plot heavy. And the other one is a little bit more of like an emotional story. And I just found that exhausting to, to, to watch. And this one, it's like there's actually a kind of interesting tone. Like, I mean, the show can only be so exciting because of what it is, but I was like, oh, there's like an actual plot and they're actually trying to solve a crime. Like as clumsy as it can be at times, I was like, at least there's a plot as opposed to people sitting around like talking about evil. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a you plot know? this time because immediately yeah. after the first murder, Nick's, Nick's going to work the next day. As he's driving, the killer strikes again. He's killing another drug dealer. And Nick, of course, mm-hmm. as we've seen before, his vampire hearing, he's driving to work. He picks it up. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going yeah. to get to save this person before anything happens. But he arrives a little too late. And he finds the murdered body of, of this drug dealer. But while this is happening, an anonymous tip is being placed to the police station, to his new captain, Amanda Cohen. So when the police show up, Nick is standing over the body. And in the victim's hands, why, it's Nick's watch that he couldn't find earlier in that day. He's being set up for the murder. Yeah. And I think we see earlier, we see LaCroix do it, right? Yeah, we... 
don't know exactly what's happening, but we definitely see LaCroix always attending the murder scenes. And it's at this point we realize that LaCroix clearly is now framing Nick for these murders. Yeah. And so, and again, this I think was actually an interesting idea, which is that Nick gets arrested right away and they have to essentially, the other characters, uh, primarily uh, Natalie and uh, uh, Skanky, have to either figure out who did the murder uh, uh, and or also prove that he didn't um and they kind of both have their sort of like plots uh that that they have to kind of go do which is skanky's trying to solve the crime and natalie's trying to figure out how to get show that nick couldn't have done it um and i and i will argue uh in the most uh uh, inappropriate uh (laughs) illegal way possible and she should lose her job it is very funny i did like that uh they have to they search Nick's home and like Skanky, he's so loyal. It's so funny how loyal he is. I really mm-hmm. like this, how loyal he is. And I think we've seen it I previously agree. that there's this this elements were there, but now he's just like all in on Nick. And they like search his apartment and they find bottles of blood in his fridge. And so Skanky has to like go he's like he's like, I'm sure there's a logical explanation. And he visits like Nick in his prison cell and he's just like, So we found a lot of blood in your fridge. What's the deal? And Nick's like, Oh yeah, I use that to uh thicken my paints. And Skanky's like, Oh of course. Uh, who who doesn't do that? Yeah, it was it's one of those things where I think you're right. I think it's supposed to be played for laughs that he wants so desperately for Nick to not be guilty that whatever he said he would have listened to. But it's such a um like silly, silly answer as to what it could be. He's just like uh, it's for painting. He's like, checks out. Like, okay. <laughs> well, this has been a real part of uh, his character going back to the pilot episode where if you say it in a way where you like make it sound smart and make it sound obvious, he's going to accept it because he wants to also be smart. Like it's, he's very yeah. easily manipulated that way. Yeah. And so, and so should, can we talk about what, what wall, so Skanky is kind of with the police and with internal affairs uh, trying to, find find like who the killer is while natalie is doing what she's doing should we talk about natalie or do you want to go i just want to talk about one little thing there's a small bit here it's unrelated to the rest of the plot but jeanette will sneak into the like holding cells to talk to nick and they bring up another little piece of the vampire like mythology of the show that i was just like okay i want to know more about this but she drops by and this is sort of the sub the sub b plot is what Lacroix is up to here but she's there to tell nick that the vampire community has been talking and discussing his situation and like they don't th- they don't see any way for him to get out of this and they don't want humans to know about vampires so that they really want Nick to consider just busting out of prison he's going to have to start a new life he's going to have to throw this life away and that's obviously what LaCroix is attempting to do with this frame job but I was really interested in this idea that there's like a John Wick style community of vampires I like to think they all hang out at that hotel from John Wick and they're just like, listen, we've been talking. You've had a good run, Nick, but like, you got to cut and run now. We're, we've got a whole organization of vampires running in this town, and we can't get caught. And so it's funny. I wasn't interested at all because it's not the show we're seeing. It's like, well, show me that then. Well, I think we'll get to see it maybe. I think we're setting up season mm-hmm. two. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's so fun. I was just like, what a fun idea. I want to know more about this vampire community who's all sitting around talking about Nick jeopardizing them. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get far to the part you like so much. It's uh, Dr. Nat. <laughs> I don't like it so much. I like it marginally better. Dr. Nat and how she's going to solve this problem is the dead dealer that Nick was found with had DNA under its fingernails, which should easily exonerate Nick. 
The only issue being, of course, is that Nick's DNA is so crazy vampiric that you can't send him to the lab without, I don't know, exposing all vampires and himself. So Nat's like, well, we can't send your DNA there. We know that'll get you in trouble. I mean, I'm curious what vampire DNA looks like now. But at any rate, what we know is we can't send his DNA. Yeah, they don't explain it, but I just assumed it wouldn't be testable in any ways. Like, you just, it just doesn't work. Exactly. So Nat's like, it's fine, though. Like, I know you didn't do it. Because we have DNA. It proves you didn't do it. That's enough. I know you you couldn't have done it now. So what your plan is, is like, I'm just going to get some DNA, swap it in for yours, and it'll just be, it'll be a negative and you'll get off for it. And she does this in the most suspicious way you could feasibly do something like this. Yeah, it's like she's, she goes into a lab. I think it's, there's another doctor working on samples. She comes in, she's like, hey, do you need help with stuff? And then was like, I'll start working on those tests. And they, how did the the other other doctor just happens to walk in at the same time? The, like, it's so bizarre. There's this moment where she's just like, hey, uh, I know we do usually do a double blind on these DNA tests. But since it's such an important thing with this, with a cop being charged, why don't we do a triple blind this time? And, you know, the doctor she's working with was like, sure, I don't care, whatever, let's do a triple blind. And a lab tech at the, uh, I don't know, the, wherever they are, the mortuary, happens to walk in at that moment. And they just grab him and they're like, look over there. And they like steal his DNA out of his finger. Mm-hmm. Like they surprise him and take his DNA. And they're like, yeah. it's all supposed to be played for laughs. Like, isn't this like a funny workplace thing to like take your friend's DNA? Yeah. And I'll just I'll just mention. So she came up with this plan and it is the most random idea. She's just going to grab the most innocent person you possibly could grab. Just some random person of the seemingly hundreds of people that work in this office, she just will grab this random guy's DNA. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no way, no, so that will exonerate Nick because, you know, that the, he, this guy clearly wasn't on the, at the crime. She's she's gonna, she, she as soon as everyone leaves the room, she takes the guy's name off his DNA sample, slaps Nick on it, and says, mm-hmm. problem solved. Nick's gonna be exonerated to find that it's not the same DNA. And the DNA samples immediately come in, and as soon as they do, they're like, Nick, you're the murderer. The DNA proves it. We're taking you to uh to to maximum security prison at first i was hoping this was going to be like a police corruption sort of thing where they were like we just decided he's guilty no matter what and it was sort of like she's not gonna be able to say i switched the samples because then she would show that she was also doing a crime but it's so so much dumber i also thought when this happened i was like okay well either Lacroix broke in and just like swap the samples because he's he's not involved in the murders but he knows who the murderer is he's been basically using someone else's murders mm-hmm. unbeknownst to the murderer against nick or i thought well we know the murderer works at the police station so maybe the murderer also just like switched the samples to ensure that nick would go to jail but what we come to learn is they accidentally grabbed the exact guy who did all the murders and that's why the dna it's so funny yeah. i was laughing the random so person hard. she grabbed is the murderer it's like it's just it's so dumb and and the funny thing is like it's it's just like it's on par with this show so you just go okay sure like that's that's what it is because it's it just is what the show is but it's it's in a show where there's a vamp like a hundred year old vampire 500 year old vampire whatever he is who's a police officer this is less realistic i loved it it was so funny it's such a huge coincidence and it made me laugh so hard (laughs) yeah and that's that's forever night for you that that's if, if you can distill it to one thing that's it yeah, it's not so much about the plots. It's about the f- adventure of it all. Yeah, the adventure. The fun adventure we're having, yeah. 
At any rate, Nick's, Nick's packed into a van in the middle of the day and transported to or jail. But of course, at this point, he knows the jig's up. He can't go to like maximum security. So he busts out of the back of the van in transit, hides in a dumpster till it's nighttime. And, and Nick's basically uh, the focus of a major manhunt now that he's been on the run. And Nat, of course, she's in a bit of a pickle here and she needs to help Nick. So she she finds Skanky and very sheepishly, she kind of tells a little lie while yeah. also trying to explain why she swapped the DNA samples on uh, for Nick. So she's like, take Skanky's side. She's like, listen, I maybe did a slight crime where <laughs> I swapped Nick's DNA sample out for a lab tech sample who turned out to be the murderer. But Nick really didn't do it. Yeah, and I think she, she says like he has some sort of like disorder. That's why... His blood test wouldn't prop. It has to do with his like vampiric thing. That's not a vampire. He's like sensitive to light and stuff. And and Skanky, of course, like yeah, checks out. Yeah, it's his sun allergy. She says his sun allergy means yeah. I can't test his DNA. And you know, Skanky's gullible, so he he goes along with it. But she explains the whole thing. She's like, it turns out after I took that DNA sample from that lab tech, he immediately quit his job. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like that. I was like very funny. That guy was like, guy walked out of that room was like, oh shit, I gotta go. <laughs> He, he, he does what is the most suspicious thing possible. Well, he knows he's about to get caught. He's just like, well, they have my DNA. They're going to catch me now. Yeah. But she basically is like, here's the address of that lab tech. Can you go there? We, we know it's him because we looked into his background. Like Dr. Nat did this. She's like, we looked into his background and his brother died of an OD from doing drugs. So he's probably on a killing spree against drug dealers as revenge. Also the same plot as the pilot. <laughs> Yes, I know. It is the same. It's just like people are like, why would you want to kill something? I assume it has to do with donating blood. <laughs> <laughs> His brother died of an OD, so he's out, he's out to get revenge on drug dealers. Yeah. And Skanky leaves to go confront this lab tech. And this new captain, Amanda Cohen, she's no dummy. She sees, she sees him leaving. She already knows he's pretty good friends with Nick, who's on a manhunt. And she's just like, sends cops. She's like, follow Skanky. He's probably going somewhere related to this crime, which is smart. I was just like, I like that this uh, mm-hmm. uh, captain's so on the ball. Yeah. Now, I have to say that we don't really get much of her actual character in this, and I'm assuming they're going to flesh her out a little bit as we go, because she's pretty one note. But I will agree with you that she's clearly not stupid. Yeah, I thought she was a fine uh, introduction to this captain who's just like, she's happy to have them on the force. She's finding them a little annoying that they're constantly sucking up to her. And now that this crime's in progress, she's like, well, follow Skanky. He's clearly too close to this crime. At any rate, Nick has been using his vampire vibe powers now. He he wants to track the vampire he knows is framing him for this. And his, his vibe powers also lead him directly to the lab tech's house, who, when he gets there, he flies through a window. He's just like, wait a minute, you're not a vampire. And the lab tech looks so confused as to what's happening. <laughs> well, he's still worried about just like, uh, uh, he's just worried about the sample still. Exactly. And then Skanky jumps in, the, just busts through the door. He's like, hey, lab tech, I know about the sample. And Nick's like, what are you doing? Like, it's a very funny, like, they just cross yeah. paths by accident in this man's house. Yeah. And the lab tech, of course, in their confusion of the two of them bumping into each other, he escapes. He just runs out of the building. While he's running out of the building, Police surround it. Uh, the Amanda, uh, the uh, captain's following force knows they're both in there, surrounds the building. And uh, Nick and Skanky are like, well, maybe we should split up and get out of here. There must be another back way out. Essentially what happens is Nick's like, I, he runs off and he's going to, unbeknownst to Skanky, he's going to follow those vibes still. He's going to track those vibes and find this vampire. He's going to finally find LaCroix behind it. And Skanky's going to go after the lab tech, basically. This is how the plot separates yeah. once more. Yeah. We'll do Nick first because it's just easier 
he he very quickly follows the vibes, catches up with LaCroix. They really give no explanation for how LaCroix is alive. Like, at some point, he's just like, you're dead. And he's just like, you think you could kill me? I'm so powerful. And that's it. That's, the, that's it. It's funny. They, they show, and they show clips from the first, uh, I don't know if it's the first episode. It's one of the early episodes where he gets killed. And they show it. And he's like, yeah, I remember that happened. He's like, didn't kill me. I'm like, all you're showing is that he died. But it's like, sure, he's he's not dead. But they, I, they just, yeah, it's what you're saying. It's like, he's so powerful. There's no way he could actually be dead. And then they have a very poorly choreographed, clumsy fight. But what I like about it is it's fine. Like they kind of fight and because they're like enemies. And then at the very end, I don't think, I think it's a few scenes later, uh, Nick just meets them on, on the rooftop and they're just not fighting anymore. I'm like, why would you not fight now? You guys were just like going all out trying to kill each other. And then they're just like, it's time for a chat. Well, I mean, it's very funny because I guess what we're supposed to know, and it's true to what's been happening throughout this series is like when they have the chat on the roof, LaCroix is just like, listen, I just wanted to end your life here so that you could start a new life and maybe you'd be a vampire again. He's still like, he has one goal. Yeah. Just get Nick back and just make him a bro again. Why aren't you broing with me, man? Let's bro. Yeah, it's true. And Nick's just like, I don't want to. I want to become human. And they're kind of just back to like this like frenemy relationship by the end of the episode, which is fine. I think that's where they are best suited for. But it yeah. is very funny. They have a huge fight. And then they're just like, let's be cool for a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And while he's doing that, Skanky's chasing um, uh, the lab tech. Do we ever get a name for this guy? Probably, but he he's just a lab tech. I mean, he Doesn't looks matter. identical to the murderer from last episode. He's just a nerdy, a nerdy Agreed. little schlub. I think all, so many of these murderers have been just nerdy little schlubs. Like even the doctor from the first episode. Yeah, it's like it's just it's it's like telltale sign that you're a murderer on this show. They really have a type. They're just like they don't trust people with glasses. They don't trust these little nebbish guys at the office. They're like you can't trust them. Yeah, and and in a similar way, there's sort of like kind of a pseudo action sequence where like. Um, uh, Skanky corners the guy, and they sort of like have guns on each other. Um, yeah, it's and, real. It's uh, real John and, Woo style. <laughs> yeah, and like, and 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 really, what it comes down to is, is Skanky will eventually get the gun off him um, in a way where he doesn't kill the guy. Um, and and the captain, the captain who he's, you know, his his weird little plot, which is he's been trying to impress the captain in very superficial ways, like buying donuts and like giving people tickets what he really just needed to do was be a good cop which is what he does but he's able to disarm the guy and show her that he's actually a good cop. interesting interpretation interesting interpretation that's not how i interpreted it (laughs) no how did you interpret it well i thought it was done this way less to show that skanky's good cop but skanky chases him into this like catacombs under toronto they're just in the catacombs under toronto suddenly They, they have pitchforks there too and the captain's hot on skanky's trail during this chase so Skanky doesn't know this, and when he's down in the catacombs chasing the lab tech, the lab tech confesses to everything. He explains why he did yeah. it, he, that he killed all these people, and this allows the captain to overhear that Nick and Skanky aren't involved in the murders. It basically exonerates them. So it wasn't that Skanky was a good cop. It was that like by hearing the real murderer confess, the captain's able no, to I... find a reason that they're both uh, like not responsible. I realize that, but I still think the point what she's seeing is still that he was able to catch the guy. Like, she's still seeing that he's not a bumbling fool, which all she's seen to this point is that he's kind of, like, a bumbling fool. Right, right, right. I thought it was more exonerating, but maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Either way, Skanky's all right. Skanky's all right. He's a pretty good guy. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, sure he's ogling models for no reason, but at at this point of the season, he's not so creepy. And I will say, at least through like a final moment at the end of the episode, that 
I really liked, and I, I'm sure you maybe didn't, um, but the captain gets Dr. Nat and Skanky in a room just to, to debrief after the case. And she is like asking questions and Skanky sweat and Dr. Nat sweating. And it's quite clear that she understands that they swapped DNA samples, that there's like all this stuff that yeah. went like went wrong behind the scenes here. Like corruption to the highest level to get Nick free uh, behind the scenes was happening. And she covers it up for them. She like comes up with a good reason. Yeah. Like she's like, write this in your report. It'll cover up the whole thing. Well, she's basically like the guy confessed. So none of that matters now. So let's just like pretend it didn't happen. And let's just like whitewash over it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just very funny because she's like, I caught you all in a series of lies, yeah. but you were just trying to help a detective. And we like, we circle wagons around our own. So just write this down and we'll just write off this whole case. And I just thought that was like such an interesting scene with this captain. That's just like, I agree with you. I thought it was pretty good. I also think it sets up a good possible relationship with this captain This sort of like, I'll look the other way if it means the job gets done. Yeah, she's not opposed to working beyond the law as long as they're getting their job done. Right, right. And then we have one final scene where Nick's playing a piano and Jeanette shows up and they talk about evil or something. Yeah, yeah, they're just letting them know the family's getting back together. <laughs> that's it. And that's that's which I'll that's the episode and I'll say I did like this one better than the last one. I which I, I I'm curious to know if you you felt the same way because I have a feeling you liked the other one more. Well, we can get into ratings. It, it was it was it was like a, you had like you were, you were like giving a love letter to it. Well, we can get into ratings, but I do want to say I I did a quick search cuz uh our guest last week Steve had mentioned the German version of this. So I had like kind of was mm. just doing some a little look into it. No new information. I couldn't find any evidence that they actually shot additional nude scenes. I mean, he, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I couldn't find any evidence <laughs> that that actually happened. Like, I couldn't see anything that said there was like an extended cuts of this that exist anywhere. But I did find out the name of the show in Germany, and it's so good. What's the name? It's uh, Nick Knight Der Vampire Cop. <laughs> that is better. I just want the show to be called Der Vampire Cop now. Yeah, that's better. It's better than Forever Night with this terrible font. No, same font, though. Oh, same font? Oh, then I'm disappointed. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Love you to death. Obviously, you weren't a big fan, but what do you think? What do you want to give it? I just, yeah, I just... I'm I'm not saying there aren't things that work in this episode and I uh I I like that the two plot lines were connected. I understand that they're building Nick's character and I don't disagree with any of your points. I just think the show is so painfully boring that these points are just lost in the boringness of the presentation. So it's like, hey, I have a really interesting story told to you by the most boring person you've ever met in your life. So I just can't give it more than the four of the 10, which I think is generous. Interesting. I actually think this might be the episode that has forever night firing on the most cylinders. I think it's capable of, I think this oh my is gosh, doing so the insane. best job it's ever done. Like, I think if you're going to watch an episode of forever night, this is the one I'm going to go 6.5. Oh my gosh. If I could, if I could change it now, I'd drop a point just because of how insane that is. It's I, I think it's doing everything. It's everything you've complained about that you were right about. They found a way to get the a plot and the B plot to work. I think it's delivering on Nick's Nick's pathos. I think the emo element they want to do is working pretty well. I, I think I thought it was, I thought it was, this was the one of the best episodes they've done. Hmm. I think it's one of, yeah, I, I, I really, it's not the worst episode, but it's, yeah, I, it's, this show is just, I just find this show is just so boring. It's so amazingly boring. I don't find it boring at all. That's what's so funny. <laughs> I know. I know. 
and I'm, I'm being so nice because my scores are at least double what I should be giving them. I'll tell you, episode, <laughs> second episode, because that, that was like, it's like, it, this just, you know what this reminds me of? You remember when we watched, uh, was it Outer Space? What was that comedy sketch show where you gave one to every episode? Other Space. Other Space. This is what it feels like to me. <laughs> like how much, how much, how much you had trouble watching that show, which was like, I thought it was like, eh, like a nothing who cares kind of show and you hated it so much. That's how I'm feeling with this. But I'm going to be fair and try to be, f- to give it points where it gets them. So the second episode of Proceedings 2, I'll give it a 5.5. No, killer Which again, instinct. in reality, 5.5. for anyone watching this, it, it should be like a ni- negative 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Killer Instinct's fine. It's There's some really funny bits. I really love that the lab tech they randomly grab a sample from is the murderer. That made me laugh. Uh, there's some really dumb, silly stuff in it. It's, it's nothing, though. Like, it's just like a poorly paced poorly plotted adventure show um with a uh, that's just the show kind of campy and dumb so uh, 5.5 as well so are we at that point luke do we have to check what the score is yes it's time to check with the uh, continued red computer to see where we are with the forever night jordan we're, we're three podcast episodes in yeah i think we're gonna stay on this show i think it'll be pretty close the reviews have been not great so far <laughs> yeah i mean oh if if we if we went to the last episode, I would I won't be shedding a tear. <laughs> I think like if we had checked last week, I think we probably would have been in the skate pod, but it was too soon. So uh, this yeah. will be really telling, I think. Yeah. All right, Jordan, you want to hear what the current score is for Forever Night? Yeah, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Just like the show. <laughs> It is at 5.07. Oh, dear. We're still watching it. If you had just if you had just given it the ratings you wanted to, we would have gone. I know. Oh, man. I can't believe I have to keep watching this show. Luke, it's killing me slowly. <laughs> Why are you giving it such good ratings? You gave 5.5 to that one. I'm, I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be fair to the show. <laughs> but not fair to yourself. No. Honestly, Luke... Your descriptions, you I could have you read the descriptions, and people don't understand. It's it's so much more interesting hearing you talk about it than actually watching the show. Watching the show is it's torture. <laughs> it's torture. I mean, Forever Night is definitely not for everyone. Your results may vary. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair. Well, no skate pod this week, Jordan. But there's always next week. We'll see how it goes when you give everything ones <laughs> just to get out. No, no, I'll be fair. Um, but in the meantime, we're now into season two of Forever Night. So we're, we've watched all the episodes we're going to watch of season one. But mm-hmm. there's always a chance to make us go back and watch more. And Jordan clearly would love to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'll do it if I have to. I'll do it for charity, Luke. He'll do it for charity, which is bonus episodes for charity. That's what it's all about. If you want us to go back and watch an episode from a series that we either are doing a best of run, so we've missed a lot of episodes of this We've lost a lot of episodes of Sliders. We've missed a lot of episodes of First Wave, only in that it was us trying to watch the top three episodes every season. We don't have time to watch all of them. Or if it's one of the series we watched previously where we've just taken the escape pod. It, it, the rating fell too low. We jumped out. Mm-hmm. We couldn't watch the whole thing. You're like, there's an episode in there I would love you guys to watch. You can make a donation to a charity on our website as selected by our past guests. You can find those at Continuum Drag dot podbean.com you can make a little donation 
I, I think we're recommending fifty dollars, but you can you can give add to your means. We're not going to hold you to that. If you if, if that's too much, no worries. But you know we'd like to uh, see a nice a nice generous donation to these, some of these charities. We'll go back though. We'll watch an episode of your choosing from a series we've skipped an episode of. You can uh, email us at continuum drag. Uh, at gmail.com to give us uh, your choices and to send us your receipt. Uh, but at any rate, you can find all the information about this on the website, continuumdrag.podbean.com, or if you go to our social media, there's links on the bios there. It'll explain all the details, and uh, we'll go back and watch something uh, for a little donation to charity, a little way to give back. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, if you want to see some clips from this episode of Forever Night, we're going to have uh, some definitely some vampire fights on there. I don't know what else. Maybe maybe Jordan will find that part where uh, uh, Skanky's phone sounds like a transporter. <laughs> I gotta send it to you, Luke. I'm telling you. Well, I, I rewatched it. If Jordan sends it to us, we'll put it up on social media, and you'll see if you hear it as well. Um, but you can see all that on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The handle there is at Continuum Drag for all of those. So you can watch some clips from the show. You don't have to watch the whole thing. You can be saved Jordan's ordeal. <laughs> But that wraps it up for this week. So, listener, thank you for joining us. Jordan, I'll see you next week for a little more Forever Night. Oh, no, there's more of it. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>